Many of us view our country's star athletes as representatives of ourselves. Their victories become our victories, and our nation's success is measured by how many medals our team brings home from the Olympics. But over the years, this pressure to perform has led people to make drastic decisions. Decisions that put their lives and the lives of others at risk. Welcome to Whistleblowers, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we explore the biggest lies in history through the eyes of the whistleblowers who risked everything to expose them. Today, we're telling the story of a Russian athlete who found the courage to become a spy against her native country, all because of the man she loved. This is a story of corruption, drugs, and death threats. But it's also a story of love, dedication, and enduring integrity. Since the 1950s, Russia has been one of the top Olympic contenders. For decades, they topped the medal tables as the Soviet Union, then as the USSR, and then as Russia. But at every event, rumors circulated that Russian authorities were pushing their athletes to take banned substances. And in August 2008, the rumor mill went into overdrive when just days before the Beijing Olympics started, several of Russia's leading athletes were expelled from the event. Officials claimed that some of them had failed drug tests and that others had been caught switching urine samples. The International Olympic Committee accused Russia of pushing a dangerous culture of doping onto its athletes, but Russian officials loudly denied this. They blamed the offenses on the individual athletes and their poor choices. They maintained that the doping was not state-funded, and critics had to take them at their word. But after the 2008 Games had finished, all eyes were on Russia and their leader Vladimir Putin, Russia's athletes had to clean up their act. At the time, Putin had been in a strong position of power in Russia for 10 years. His policies had often been described as authoritarian by experts who pointed to the imprisonment of the government's political opponents, the suppression of the free press, and allegedly coercive elections. Putin's priorities in office were maintaining his power and presenting his country as impressive and thriving under his leadership, which is perhaps why sport and athleticism were so close to his heart. The ex-KGB officer wanted the representatives of his country to be the strongest and fastest athletes out there. And so, in 2008, with several of their finest contenders banned from the 2012 Olympics, the authorities were keen to find the next batch of future sporting stars. And 22-year-old track athlete Yulia Rosanova was desperate to be one of them. Yulia had started running at 14 years old when she watched fellow Russian Irina Privalova sprint to victory in the 400-meter hurdles at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Soon after, she started training at the nearby athletics club in her hometown of Kursk, Western Russia. Running became an escape from her difficult home life. According to Yulia, her father was an alcoholic who would regularly beat her and her two sisters. 
By the time she was 17, she was winning all her local 800-meter races and started competing professionally. Her dream was to work her way up through the ranks and eventually represent Russia at the Olympics. In 2005, when Yulia was 19, she was introduced to elite coach Vladimir Mukhnev. Vladimir had trained several of Russia's top runners and saw Yulia's potential immediately. He put her on a strict training regime and put her into races against his other star athletes. But Yulia quickly realized she was being outpaced. Her competitors were not only faster, they seemed to recover more quickly— Her endless hours of dedication and training did little to help her keep up. Eventually, Mukhnev gave Yulia an ultimatum. If she wanted to become a world-class athlete, she would need to knock several seconds off her personal best, or her career would be over. Upset, Yulia told her fellow athletes about Mukhnev's ultimatum. It was then that she discovered why she was lagging behind. The women told her all about the performance-enhancing drugs their coaches had given them. Some were using testosterone to help their muscles recover faster, anti-anemia drugs to increase their red blood cell count, and peptide hormones to increase their stamina. Yulia realized that she'd been competing on an uneven playing field all this time. She went straight to coach Mukhnev and asked him to let her join the doping scheme. At first, he told her she was too young. But Yulia wouldn't take no for an answer, and eventually he agreed. And it had a dramatic effect. Her personal record for the 800 meter had been 2 minutes and 13 seconds. But shortly after starting her first injections, Yulia ran it in 2 minutes and 8 seconds. Fascinated by how much she was improving, she began to keep a detailed diary of all her doping activities and their impact on her performance. In the summer of 2007, her coach felt that, at 21, Yulia was ready to progress onto the next phase of doping. Before long, she was being injected three times a day with a mixture of steroids and hormones, and the frequency was taking a toll on her body. Mukhnev kept injecting her in exactly the same place in her thigh, and this caused a large painful cyst to form, which took her out of running for a month. But overall, it did seem worth it. Over the next two years, Yulia kept up her training routine and continued to see improvements. In late July 2009, Yulia, now 23, competed in the Russian National Championships in the city of Chubuksari in western Russia. There, she smashed her personal record, running the 800 meter in 2 minutes 3 seconds. On a high after her race, Yulia had set out to enjoy some well-earned downtime. Blonde hair shining in the sun, she left the stadium and walked into the athlete's village. There, sponsors had set up stands and were handing out bags, leaflets, and food to any athlete who looked their way. As she browsed the stalls, her eye was caught by an attractive young man in his late 20s. He was tall, wore glasses, and had an eager expression. He introduced himself as Vitaly Stepanov, a 27-year-old former teacher from Moscow who had just got a new job working with young athletes. 
He offered her a leaflet and asked her how her competition was going. Yulia wasn't really in the market for a love interest, but as they spoke, she felt a pull to Vitaly, and when he asked her out on a date, she was surprised to find herself agreeing. Yulia was living with her aunt at the time, in a town a few miles south of Moscow. On the night of the date, Vitaly knocked on the door, his car idling in the street outside. Like a true gentleman, he spoke politely to her aunt and promised to have her back at a respectable time. He suggested they go to a cafe and then the cinema. But once the couple got into his car, they couldn't stop talking. They never made it to the cafe. Instead, they drove around the city for hours discussing their lives, their work, and their plans for the future. Vitaly told Yulia that his love of athletics had led him to study in the U.S. and then apply to join the new Russian anti-doping agency. Created by President Putin, the organization promised to root out drug cheats as part of the country's commitment to staging the Winter Olympics in Sochi in 2014. Vitaly was fully committed to this cause, passionate about making sport better. Yulia felt drawn to Vitaly, His enthusiasm was infectious, but she was somewhat surprised by his naivety. He clearly had no idea about the scale of doping among athletes. Despite working for the Russian anti-doping agency, also known as Rusada, for over a year, he hadn't come across a single athlete who doped. Yulia explained that this was because his colleagues were complicit in covering up the drugs. But Vitaly didn't believe her. She responded that she knew because everyone was doing it, even her. Despite the dangers, they were the only way to have a chance at fulfilling her dreams. Vitaly was deeply shocked. After all, it was his job to stop athletes doping. He knew the steroids she had been given had been banned from the Olympics in the late 1990s. And EPO was a prescription drug for kidney disease— He told her that it could cause her serious harm if she continued using it. Surely Yulia must realize what she was doing was wrong. But she just laughed away his concerns. As Vitaly drove her back to her aunt's house, the couple both agreed that although they were undeniably drawn to each other, it would never work. He was a do-gooder, and she was a risk-taker. There was no way a doping officer could date a drug-using athlete. Yulia watched Vitaly drive away, knowing that it was unlikely they would meet again. She told herself she didn't mind. As she walked into the house, she had no idea that the pair would meet again, and that together they would be instrumental in exposing Russia's state-sponsored doping ring. The day after his date with Yulia, in late July 2009, Vitaly sat in his office, his brow furrowed, he joined the Russian anti-doping agency with the dream of stamping out doping. It was just his luck that the first athlete he'd met who admitted to it was someone he seemed to have feelings for. Vitaly shook his head and reminded himself that his first responsibility was to his job. He had to find a way to get Yulia off his mind. And so, inside his manager's office... On the top floor of the austere, Soviet-style building they worked in, he laid everything out. How athletes were encouraged to take banned substances, 
How coaches seemed to believe that natural talent could only make it to the top with the help of drugs. And how a young runner called Yulia Rusanova had told him that doping officials were involved in the cover-up. When he'd finished talking, his boss looked uncomfortable. And when he abruptly changed the subject, Vitaly suspected that everything Yulia had said was true. Rusada was in on it after all. And he'd given her name to his boss. He started to wonder if he'd made the right decision. A few days later, Yulia's cell phone rang. It was Vitaly. He told her he knew they'd decided not to talk, but he wondered if she wanted to go on another date. When she said yes, he was surprised. She told him that despite herself, she hadn't been able to stop thinking about him either. Dinner dates turned into late-night chats and long, leisurely breakfasts. Even a few hours apart became unbearable, and so the couple quickly moved into a small flat in Moscow together. All the while, Yulia kept doping, and Vitaly kept quiet about his attempt to rat her out to his boss. Their families were amazed when, just two months after meeting in October 2009, they decided to get married. Not everyone supported Yulia's choice of husband. Her parents thought everything was moving far too quickly, but her coaches took a pragmatic view. They cautioned her to be careful about what she told him, but they were friendly enough to Vitaly when he came to watch her training sessions. After all, they told her, many officials from Rusada had looked the other way when national pride was at stake. And Yulia was starting to get fast enough to draw attention on the international stage. Her performance at the national championships had been enough to secure her a trial for the Russian national team. If she did well, she would have a shot at the 2012 London Olympics. The newlyweds were happy together, but marriage had not erased their fundamental differences. Vitaly was desperate for Yulia to stop doping, and Yulia was desperate to do whatever it took to get to the Olympics. In December 2009, with the London Games two and a half years away, Yulia's coaches arranged for her to step up her doping regime once again. They'd booked her an appointment with someone at the very heart of Russia's doping circle. When Vitaly found out, he begged Yulia not to go. To consider the health risks of using illegal substances, they could cause brain damage, reproductive issues, and they could be severely addictive. He told her that to her coaches, she was just a tool who could be tossed aside when she stopped winning. But she said that it was a price worth paying to get to the Olympics. And if he wanted their marriage to work, he would have to accept it. A few days later, Yulia went to meet Dr. Sergei Portugalov. In 2009, to most people, the doctor was considered a leading expert in the anti-doping fight in Russia. But secretly, he was making big money masterminding the state-sponsored doping regime. A regime which had churned out Olympic medalists since the Soviet era. For years, Yulia had heard athletes say they had gone to Portugal to improve their performance. She now realized this was code for the doctor's last name. In his nondescript office in central Moscow, Portugalov scrutinized Yulia's results. He then handed her some oxandrolone pills, 
a banned anabolic steroid and gave her several injections he claimed were supplements. Yulia couldn't help feeling scared. And her apprehension must have shown on her face because Portugalov abruptly said, don't look at me like that. All serious athletes prepared to compete in this way. But his expertise came at a price. Yulia promised to give him more than $1,500 if she won a gold medal, as well as 5% of all her earnings for the rest of the season. Over the next few months, Yulia took what Portugalov had prescribed her. Soon she was performing better than ever. And in July 2010, she won the 800-meter race at the 2010 National Championships in Saransk, east of Moscow. But as she celebrated her victory, her husband was 600 kilometers west, sitting in his Moscow office and worrying. He'd overheard a Rusada colleague take a troubling call from the Kremlin. An official wanted to know which athletes had tested positive at the national championships. Vitaly's ears pricked up. He listened on pins and needles as his colleague slowly made his way through the hundred or so names who'd been picked up. He was relieved when Yulia's name wasn't read out. Portugalov must have taken care of her test results, but he'd noticed a pattern in the list. If the athlete was a rising star, then their sample was always clean. If they were unknown, it came back positive. That night, when Yulia returned from the national championships, Vitaly broke down sobbing. He confessed that he couldn't live this double life anymore. He'd worked at Rosada for more than three years now and was depressed. He told her how his colleagues were accepting bribes, either envelopes of cash or gifts of food or vodka. And these same officials were then finding loopholes to stop their favorite athletes from being tested. He knew they were getting suspicious of him. He'd asked too many questions. Although he loved Yulia deeply, he was starting to feel tainted by their relationship. He didn't want to leave her, but he needed to speak out. Yulia was sad to see her husband in such a state, but she wasn't surprised. Deep down, she'd always known that one day he would have to share the truth. She suggested a compromise. She gave him her blessing to start covertly speaking to the International World Anti-Doping Agency, but she refused to stop doping. She was at the peak of her career, and she didn't want to stop now. Vitaly wasn't happy with this suggestion, but he knew his wife wasn't ready to back down. And so, over the next few days, Vitaly wrote and rewrote his first email to the World Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA, Often working late into the night, Vitaly explained his concerns about Russian athletics. He told them that Rusada, the organization that was supposed to put a stop to doping, was in fact enabling it. Vitaly knew that sending the email was risky. Russia did not take kindly to those who spoke out against them. Political opponents had been thrown in jail, or worse. But he couldn't live with the secrets any longer. He summoned his courage pressed send, and waited for Wada's reply. But none came. He emailed them again, and again. Still no reply. Months passed. 
At work, Vitaly became more and more distant and distracted, and his colleagues noticed. In early 2011, he received an email saying the organization was restructuring. He was fired soon after. In the meantime, Yulia's career was flourishing. She kept up with the doping regime set out by Portugalov, and she saw more and more women around her doing the same. Her success at the national championships qualified her for the women's 800 meters at the European Championships in Paris in March 2011. She knew her only real competition there was Britain's Jenny Meadows and fellow Russian Yevgenia Zinorofa, and she'd heard that Zinorofa was seeing Portugalov too. As she dug her spikes into the starter blocks, she prayed that she would make it into the top three. When she finished third, just behind Zinorofa and Meadows, it felt like her Olympic dream might just come true. Her coaches and the officials at the Russian Federation were impressed. They told her that if she wanted to make the 2012 London Olympics, she had to push herself just a little bit further. And so, for the next 12 months, she did. Until one day in spring 2012, she suddenly felt a sharp pain in her thigh during training. Crying out, Yulia stopped running and tried to walk off the discomfort. But the pain intensified until she could barely stand. Hobbling towards the changing rooms, she called out to one of her coaches. He advised her to take a special injection to help her deal with the pain and recover faster. Yulia was in so much agony, she didn't question what it was. Soon, the pain began to subside, and then the room started to spin around her. Her vision blurred, and her heart started beating impossibly fast. With every breath, she was fighting for her life. As she struggled, she could just make out her coach, Vladimir Mukhnev, running towards her, shouting for someone to call an ambulance. And then everything went dark. When the paramedics finally arrived, they gave Yulia another injection. Slowly, her breathing returned to normal. Eventually, she was able to open her eyes and realized that Vladimir had left. He'd returned to the track to continue his coaching session. He hadn't even waited to see if she would survive. Over the next few weeks, a depressed Yulia recovered at home. She was too sick to race at the 2012 London Olympics, and she was hurt that her coach hadn't cared enough to check on her. Vitaly had been right. To them, she was dispensable, like a lame racehorse. Yulia decided she was done with her coaches and done with the doping, but not with her dreams. When her thigh was better, she summoned her strength and got back into training with a new, clean coach. She had a long way to go to recover, but she had high hopes for the Rio Olympics in 2016. In August 2012, Yulia and a still unemployed Vitali watched the London Games at home together and saw Russia win 82 medals. They both knew that many of the athletes competing had been to see Portugalov, and they'd heard that Grigory Rodchenkov, the head of Russia's National Anti-Doping Laboratory, was behind the scenes making sure his athletes wouldn't get caught. Yulia was determined that she would one day go to the Olympics without using drugs to get there. But as Yulia pushed herself, Vitaly stagnated. 
For the last two years, he'd been reaching out to WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, and had received no satisfactory reply. He felt that he'd failed in his attempt to change athletics for the better, and he found himself unemployable in Moscow, as coaches and athletes seemed to want to avoid his company. The couple were on different trajectories, and over the next few months, they drifted even further apart. Towards the end of 2012, Vitaly asked Yulia for a divorce. She was hurt and disappointed, but agreed for his sake. And so, one cold night, late in December, Yulia and Vitaly set off to Moscow's court building. Their paperwork was filed, and the couple were told to return to the office in two months' time to complete the process. Yulia walked out of the courtroom and straight into a waiting taxi to the airport for her next training camp. Vitaly returned to their flat and boxed up her belongings as the Moscow church bells rang in the new year. In early 2013, 26-year-old Yulia was pushing herself harder than ever at a training camp when her Olympic dreams were dealt another blow. She received a letter from the world governing body of athletics. They'd found evidence of banned substances in her previous blood tests. They were stripping her of all her medals and banning her from competing for two years. Yulia stared at the paper in disbelief. All her hard work was being undone, and all of the money she had spent had been for nothing. Meanwhile, Portugalov and her former coaches were on to the next young, promising athlete. The great Russian doping machine had chewed her up and spat her out. She was told to go to Moscow to discuss her next steps with the Russian Athletics Federation. And in a cruel twist of fate, her return to Moscow would coincide with the court date for the divorce she didn't want to go ahead with. On February 8, 2013, a downcast Yulia stepped off the plane and was surprised to see her soon-to-be ex-husband, Vitaly, waiting for her in arrivals. He put her bags into the back of his car and asked her where she wanted to go. Just as on their first date four years earlier, the couple drove for miles around the streets of Moscow as Yulia told Vitaly about the letter. Her new coaches had not been surprised by its contents. They told her to accept her punishment. If she walked away quietly, the Russian Federation would continue to pay her salary for the next two years, after which she could try to restart her Olympic campaign. But two years was a long time, and Yulia was livid they had so easily discarded her. When she had finally calmed down, Vitaly presented her with two options. If she wanted to act like her teammates and accept the lies of the Russian officials, he would drive them both to the courthouse right now and finalize their divorce. But if she was willing to work with him and fight the system while undercover, he would take her to the meeting with the Russian Federation. There, they could start secretly collecting evidence of the doping ring. Looking at her husband, Yulia knew which option she had to take. If they had proof that Russia was state-funding a systematic doping program, WADA wouldn't be able to ignore them anymore. And if they tried, she and Vitaly would just go to the international press. As they pulled up outside the anonymous office block, Yulia leaned across and kissed Vitaly. Then she walked into the lion's den. 
preparing to expose one of the biggest scandals in sporting history. In February 2013, Yulia and Vitaly Stepanov started collecting proof that officials high up in Russian athletics were not only aware of widespread doping, but that they were behind it. Although Yulia was banned from competing for the next two years, she was still being paid a salary by the Russian Federation and was expected to keep up with her training independently. That meant she could meet up with her colleagues and coaches from time to time and record their conversations. The first time she did it, she was terrified she'd be caught. But over the weeks, Yulia learned how to discreetly use her phone to capture footage of some of the biggest players in Russia's doping scene. One of her first breakthroughs came when she recorded fellow runner Maria Savinova, who had won gold in the 800-meter race at the 2012 London Olympics. It wasn't easy. Yulia and Maria were close friends. But Yulia knew the truth was more important. And so, during one meetup, she recorded Maria admitting she used the banned anabolic steroid oxandrolone and explaining that she had a whole team of people helping her to cover up the doping. She told Yulia that her coach worked with one of the head coaches of the Russian Athletics Federation, Alexei Milnikov, and claimed he helped them cover up the tests. How else are we meant to do it, she said. That's our system. Next, Yulia visited Portugalov. In his office, she recorded him talking about how well Yulia had performed when she was taking the drugs he had given her. But the two of them were not alone. Alexei Milnikov was also in the room. He told Yulia that although she was banned, she shouldn't worry. He said that they would find a way for her, but that they would have to be careful this time implying that once her ban was lifted, they'd start her on a new doping regime, one that wouldn't be detectable. Finally, Yulia recorded another coach, Vladimir Kazarin, giving her pills and infusions that he assured her would help her build muscle mass and stamina. Yulia played dumb and asked him what the drugs were. Kazarin confirmed on tape that he was giving her the illegal performance-enhancing steroid, which had put her in an ambulance months before. On her return home to Moscow, she placed the drugs in a hole under the floorboards and handed Vitaly her phone. After each recording, he downloaded Yulia's footage and sent it off to his contacts at WADA. Yulia and Vitaly knew what they were doing was dangerous, The Russian government did not take kindly to dissidents, and the resolve was tested when, in spring 2013, they discovered that they were expecting a baby boy. While they couldn't bear the thought of putting their future son at risk, they also wanted him to know his parents had done the right thing. They decided to continue collecting evidence, and in November 2013, their son Robert was born. Even while they got to grips with their new roles as mom and dad, they kept in touch with Wada and continued sending them any evidence they could get their hands on. In the middle of all this, Russia hosted the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi and came top of the medal table with 13 gold medals. This news only made Vitaly more desperate. He'd hoped that WADA would see their evidence and spring into action, shutting down Russia's doping ring. 
but the reality was more complicated. Vitali claims that many of his 200 emails to them were ignored, and any reply he did get was often a cursory message received. Just as before, he saw little evidence that Wada was taking any action at all. Just as Vitali's frustration with Wada was peaking, his contacts there put him in touch with a German journalist called Hajo Zeppelt, who was interested in making a documentary about the scandal. Hayo was a well-respected journalist with a history of exposing drug use among athletes. Yulia and Vitali met with Hayo secretly and agreed to share their explosive footage with him, along with Yulia's doping diaries. Most importantly, they told him they would give their testimony on camera in his documentary. The couple knew they would pay a high price for blowing the whistle. And by the autumn of 2014, the young parents started to hear whispers that their investigation had been discovered. Hayo warned the couple that some of his other sources were going into hiding after receiving death threats. In the wake of Russia's medal-winning success, Vladimir Putin's government did not want anyone to expose the dark underbelly of their sporting community. Things came to a head late one evening in November 2014, when Vitali and Yulia got a phone call. Hayo told them that the German documentary was ready for broadcast. They needed to leave Russia right now, before it aired. Packing all their belongings into four suitcases, the couple hailed a taxi, bundled Robert into a car seat, and told the driver to take them to Moscow airport. Precious family belongings were left behind in their haste to get away. But stashed in their son's baby bag were the illegal pills that Yulia's coach had given her, crucial evidence ready for testing. There was an anxious wait at passport control. As an official scrutinized their passports, Vitali slipped his hand into Yulia's and gave it a quick squeeze. Finally... Their passports were stamped, and they were ushered through. Yulia didn't breathe a sigh of relief until their plane had safely left Russian airspace and they were on their way to Germany. A few days later, Hayo Zeppelt's documentary broadcast on the German channel ARD and sent shockwaves around the world. Yulia's undercover footage and her detailed diary served as the backbone of the explosive film. The world learned about the gold medal-winning athletes, coaches, and state-funded organizations involved in Russia's endemic doping scandal. And Hayo had done some digging of his own and found evidence that people outside Russia at the International Association of Athletics Federation were accepting Russian bribes. The Russian authorities vehemently denied any wrongdoing. A spokesperson for Vladimir Putin went on national television and branded Yulia and Vitali Judases and enemies of the state. And then the couple's worst fears came true when their families were targeted. Yulia's mother was harassed at work for having an unpatriotic daughter, and Vitali's brother was kept under close surveillance. While Russian officials claimed innocence for as long as they could, when the pills that Yulia carried to Germany were tested and shown to be banned anabolic steroids, the jig was up. Finally, 
WADA started to commission independent investigations into doping in Russia. But they received a lot of criticism from people who wondered why they hadn't acted sooner. Some WADA representatives claimed that they didn't have the power or resources to put a stop to doping. Others thought that it was Russia's responsibility to clean up their own mess. And there was even the suggestion that the association didn't want the doping scandal to go public in case it put businesses off sponsoring the Olympics. No company would want to be connected to a dirty organization. Above all, people in the know suspected WADA didn't want to upset Russia or appear to be acting politically. Over the next few years, inspired by Yulia's courage, other whistleblowers came forward to expose the systematic cheating which had produced so many Russian winners at the Sochi Olympics. And Yulia and Vitaly were delighted when, in July 2016, WADA's report concluded that Russia had practiced state-sanctioned and systematic cheating and labeled their actions an unprecedented attack on sport. The same year, Yulia's coach, Vladimir Mukhnev, was given a 10-year ban by the Court of Arbitration in Sport for providing athletes with performance-enhancing drugs. Alexei Milnikov, the head coach of the Russian Athletics Federation, was also banned from sport. And in 2017, he was given a two-year prison sentence after being convicted of bribery charges by a French court. His boss, Valentin Belechnichev, the former president of the All-Russia Athletics Federation also received a prison sentence for corruption. And in 2017, Dr. Sergei Portugal Portugalov was given a lifetime ban from athletics. In 2019, after further investigation, Russia was officially banned from competing in international sporting events for four years due to its state-sponsored doping program forcing its athletes to compete under the flag of the Russian Olympic Committee at the Tokyo Olympics. The ban was later reduced to two years. At first, Yulia, Vitali, and Robert remained in hiding in Germany, before Vitali was offered a job which saw the family move to the U.S. in 2015, although they kept their location secret. There, Yulia was invited to give testimony in front of Congress and to speak on national TV about the impact doping had on her life and career. But the Kremlin has a long memory for those who betray its secrets. After the documentary aired, Yulia and Vitaly received death threats. And in 2016, Yulia's private online information was hacked, including her home address. The hacker could be traced back to Moscow, and because no other account was compromised, the couple felt it was a targeted attack. The family were forced to pack up their belongings and move again to an undisclosed location. They have no plans to return to Russia. These days, you will find Yulia running down at her local track, while her husband and son play nearby. She still has a passion for the sport, even though she never quite made it to the Olympics. Yulia and Vitaly's actions led to an inquiry that changed Russian sports forever. But they don't feel comfortable being called heroes. Yulia says she was just glad she had a chance to come clean. At last. Thanks for listening. 
You can find all episodes of Whistleblowers and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode about the world's biggest lies and the people who expose them. For more information on Yulia and Vitaly Stepanov, among the many sources we used, we found Hayo Zeppelt's ARD documentary, Top Secret Doping, How Russia Makes Its Winners, extremely helpful to our research. Whistleblowers is a Spotify original for ParCast, produced in partnership with Stable. Executive produced by Drew Cole, Max Cutler, Becky Jacobs, and David McGuire. Developed for podcast by Julian Boireau. Written by Hannah Henderson and Alice Homewood. Produced by Alice Homewood. Mixed, mastered, and sound designed by Rowan Bishop for Stable. And hosted by me, Pat Rodriguez.